All right, so how many of you like roller coasters? Anybody? All right, some do. All right, well, I've got one for you. See if you'd be willing to try this one. That's actually a roller coaster from 1917. Obviously, the rules and regulations were a little lax then. And I don't know that I would trust whatever he's about to land on, but uh, he looks serious. I don't know if he's having fun or not, but that's an actual roller coaster. Evidently, that was a thing. Um, I don't know where it was. I don't recall, but uh, it was a real roller coaster. But what I think of when I see that is being off track. (laughs) There's no doubt. And again, I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure... However the landing goes, it's not going to be pleasant, all right? But in, in all seriousness, I think of that, and I think of being off track, and I think about all of the different things in our lives that could cause us to get off track. Um, and sin is certainly one of those things. I mean, temptation, but falling into sin, if we don't take care of sin, when we're tempted, if we don't turn, if we don't confess, if we don't deal with sin... It, be, it can become a major issue for us and get us off track in a major way. And any sin can do that. Uh, today we're going to talk particularly about the sin of greed. And we're going to talk about the importance of staying on track. Because if we truly want to make an impact for the kingdom of God, we've got to stay on track, being faithful. Our series is called Making an Impact in Our World uh, for the Kingdom of God. And we're in uh, this, this series, have been for a while. We've got this week, one more week, and we'll finish it up. Um, but in order to make an impact, we know we've got to be faithful. Being faithful means staying on track, doing what God's called us to do, being faithful to spiritual disciplines, being faithful to obey Him, practicing obedience daily, spending time with Him, fellowship, uh, Bible study, all of those things that we Think of that we know to be parts of faithfulness. And we know if we are faithful, God will take care of our legacy. We focus on faithfulness. We don't focus on the legacy because if we're faithful, if we stay on track, we will leave a legacy. You know, greed is one of those sins, one of the many sins that will get us off track if we're not careful. And greed is a powerful thing. It, it, It can destroy a person from the inside out. If it's not kept in check, it can destroy you from the inside out. And if we're going to serve the Lord, we cannot allow greed or any other sin, for that matter, to consume us. And that's one of the things we're going to see today is that we're talking about greed, but the principles that we're talking about can really be applied to any sin that you or I, that we may be struggling with. But we're going to talk specifically about how greed can consume us and how to keep that from happening. Because the reality is, we are all called to be ministers of the gospel. Some of us vocationally, some of us it's our calling in life to serve as ministers in in the capacity that I do. But we are all called to be ministers. Again, our Equip 23 focus, discovering your gifts, the gifts that God has given you that he wants to use for his kingdom and for, for his glory. We're all called to serve in some capacity. But ministry... Ministry uses things to serve people. Greed, on the other hand, uses people to obtain things. And greed can be a ministry killer, as we will see happen today in today's passage. 
Greed can kill a ministry because greed focuses on things and self, whereas ministry is always focused on God and others. We serve God and we serve others. We put others before ourselves as we are called to by Christ. And there are different types of greed. There are different forms of greed. Money, possessions, fame, pleasure. I mean, the list can go on. There are many different ways that greed manifests itself. We can become greedy for all sorts of things. And what happens is that greed hides itself behind good Things of life, things that do bring us pleasure. But what happens, greed hides itself behind excessive and inordinate desires for those good things. It's taking a good thing and going too far with it, wanting too much of it. Too much of anything can be a bad thing. And so greed is excess. Today we're going to look at the story of Gehazi. It's a continuation of last week's story. Uh, where we saw Naaman, who was healed. Uh, He dipped in the Jordan seven times. He was healed of his leprosy, and he offers Elisha uh, money for his healing, as we'll see today. And we see Gehazi comes in afterwards, and we find out that he is overwhelmed with greed. Naaman discovered God's grace. He experienced God's grace through healing. And we see that when he came up out of the river, he wasn't just cleansed physically, he was cleansed spiritually. He has a transformation take place. His heart's transformed. So we're going to be in 2 Kings again, chapter 5, and we'll begin by looking at verse 15. Then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him, and declared, I know there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. So he's cleansed. He goes back to Elisha, and we see he has a complete transformation of heart. He's experienced the the grace of God, but he's still very immature spiritually. And what we see him do here is he tries to offer a gift to Elisha. At first, he had brought gifts to bribe him. This isn't a bribe. He's trying to show appreciation, a gift. But Elisha, his response is interesting in verse 16. Elisha said, as the Lord lives, in whose presence I stand, I will not accept it. Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. And this is a good offer. It's probably the equivalent of somewhere around a million dollars or more, based on what all he had. And he's just trying to show his thanks. But Elisha refuses. And the only thing we can assume, the only conclusion that I can come to, is that the reason Elisha is refusing this gift is he's trying to teach Naaman. And remember, he went into this trying to, to buy this healing. And he, you can't buy the grace of God. And I, I believe that's what Elisha is trying to teach him. He is, he's had a transformation. His heart has been changed. And he wants to make sure that Naaman understands he can't pay for grace. This is a gift from God. And he's he's thinking about his long-term spiritual growth. Elisha could have done a lot with that money. He could have put it to a lot of good use. But he's more concerned with Naaman's spiritual growth than he is a gift, a, a possession, money. And so he's concerned with his growth. But he what we see here. We turn our attention to Gehazi. Gehazi was Elisha's assistant. 
And we know from 2 Kings 4 that he had been with Elisha for a number of years. He had worked very closely with Elisha, even had gone on his behalf to perform miracles. So he had served with Elisha for a while and been able to experience God's power in different ways. But he's about to allow greed to overtake him here. He's about to allow greed to get the best of him here. And there's some lessons that you and I can learn from Gehazi about greed or any other sin, but particularly greed. The first is that every sin can be rationalized. You know, human beings have an amazing capacity to rationalize sin. Elisha had to have had a really positive influence on Gehazi, as closely as they worked together, had taught him well, had shown him the ways of God, the things of God, had been a good influence on him. But somewhere along the way, somehow Gehazi's thinking gets twisted, and we see this. When we look at the next verse, in verse 20, Gehazi is rationalizing his actions. So remember, Naaman's offered the gift, Elisha has turned it down, And here in verse 20, Gehazi, the attendant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, My master has let this Aramean, Naaman, off lightly by not accepting from him what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So a couple of phrases jump out here to me from from this verse. The first is, My master has let this Aramean, Naaman, off lightly. Elisha let him off. He spared him. In other places we see in Scripture that this word word carries the idea of holding something back. So what he's basically saying here is, My master held this general back from showing kindness. All he wanted to do was say, Thank you. And in doing that, he would have honored God with his gifts. So Elisha's keeping him from doing something that he should. Honoring God with a gift. So you can see the wheels turning. In Gehazi's mind, he's rationalizing what he's about to do. How dare Elisha keep him from doing what is right, is his thinking. He's convincing himself of this, that this is something that Naaman should have been allowed to do. Another phrase, as the Lord lives. Now these words appear several times in Scripture throughout the books of Samuel and Kings, and it's a... These words are used to make a solemn vow that uses the sacred name of Yahweh in that vow. It's a very serious and specific way to use the name Yahweh. So basically, Gehazi is saying, I guarantee you that this will be done because this is the Lord's will. He's invoking the name of God to say this is what should happen, this is what should have happened, and I'm going to make sure it happens because this is God's will. Now think about what Elijah had just said, verse 16. Elijah said, as the Lord lives, no, this is the will of God, Elijah has said, in whose presence I stand, I will not accept it. Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. So through rationalization, Gehazi takes greed... And is able to manipulate that and turn that into God's will for his life. Something that was wrong. He knew it was wrong. Elisha had said it was wrong. Yet he's able to take it and rationalize it and make it what he actually believes is God's will for his life. And that's the power of 
rationaliza- rationalization. Gehazi's mind goes to work. He comes up with this very creative way to justify what he's wanting to do. You know, if you'll remember the story of Achan, Achan took the, the, the spoils of war when God had commanded the Israelites not to do that. And we could understand his rationalization. Soldiers were usually able to do that, allowed to do that, to take whatever they were able to capture. But God had commanded specifically for them to destroy some things and keep others for the Lord's treasury. But Achan, we know, uh, thought, hey, I deserve this. This is something that I should be allowed to have. Um, And he took it and suffered the ultimate price, paid the ultimate price for that. We see rationalization all the time. Hey, you know, I work hard for this company. I don't get paid near enough. I'm just going to skim a little off the top. They owe it to me anyway. Uh, We can rationalize anything. It's amazing how human beings, how our minds, we can come up, because we are creative. Human beings are creative. It's amazing how we can come up with excuses, with reasons why we should do something we know we're not supposed to do. And again, that's the power of rationalization. It takes truth out of context and it forces it into perfectly valid conclusions at the wrong time, the wrong place, with the wrong motive and the wrong situation. Rationalization removes the feeling of guilt. This is the purpose. That's why we do it. It removes the feeling of guilt in order to provide the necessary permission to act inappropriately. What we're doing is trying to do something we know we shouldn't and make ourselves feel good about it. And it's amazing our ability to be able to do that. This is what Gehazi did. It's amazing. Human beings can become such masters of self-defeat But it happens all the time. They can fool themselves so well that they're actually shocked when somebody calls them out as being dishonest. Because they've fooled themselves. So what's wrong with Gehazi doing this? What's wrong with him rationalizing? Well, first, he was Elisha's assistant. And he should have done everything in his power to make Elisha more successful instead of doing something to harm his ministry. I mean, Elisha had made it clear what the Lord's will was here. That no gift was to be accepted. So if Gehazi had a problem with that, he should have taken it up with Elisha. And if he still had a problem with it, he should have gone his own way instead of doing something behind Elisha's back. But he didn't do that. Also, Gehazi's thinking's flawed. Think about this. Gehazi himself was never offered anything. Elisha was offered something, but Gehazi wasn't offered anything. So for him to do this, to say, oh, this is something that should happen, and take it himself, well, that was wrong on several levels. He had no right to either request or accept these gifts. He had obviously knew that his actions were dishonest, too, because he chose to hide this plan from Elisha. And as we'll see, he chooses to hide what he gets from Elisha. So he knew what he was doing was wrong. He did it behind Elisha's back. So we learn any sin can be rationalized. We have to be careful. Another lesson we learn here is that every sin can grow. It doesn't matter what it is. If we don't deal with it at the point of temptation, flee from temptation, it can grow and it will grow. It can grow beyond anything we ever would have imagined. 
Gehazi's greed, you just have to imagine that his greed had always been there, that this was something he struggled with, but he had been, he'd kept it in check up until now. When he saw that gift, all of that money that Naaman was offering Elisha, he just couldn't, couldn't contain it anymore. It always kind of been there under the surface. He never truly dealt with it, but he'd always kept it in check. But in that moment, he just couldn't keep it in check any longer. And in the next few verses, we're going to see how this greed becomes fully grown. It's in full bloom. Let's look at verse 21. So Gehazi pursued. He runs after Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and ask, Is everything all right? Gehazi said, it's all right, my, my master has sent me. So he's already lying. Elisha did not send him. But he says, my master has sent me to say, I've just now discovered that two young men from the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Where did he get that from? He's just making it up as he goes along, I guess. Please give them 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing. But Naaman insisted, please accept 150 pounds. He urged Gehazi and then packed 150 pounds of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. Naaman gave them to two of his attendants who carried them ahead of Gehazi. So now he's stealing. He's lied, now he's stealing. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the gifts from them and deposited them in the house. So now he's hiding them. He's trying to cover his sin up so he knows it's wrong. He's trying to cover it up. Then he dismissed the men and they left. Gehazi came and stood by his master. Where did you go, Gehazi? Elisha asked him. And he replied, your servant didn't go anywhere. So he's lying again. He's lying to Elisha now. So first he goes after the the goods without even taking one second to pray about it, to see if this really was something that he was supposed to do. He wasn't thinking about Naaman or his spiritual growth. Elisha was thinking about Naaman's spiritual growth. Gehazi is not thinking about that or how this might compromise Elisha's ministry. He's just thinking about what he wants. I want what I want, and I want it now. He also made up a pretty elaborate lie to trick Naaman out of his money and even leave him feeling more spiritual when it was all a lie. Elisha had not sent him. There were no, as that we know of, no needy sons of prophets. This was just a story he fabricated. The gifts weren't for anyone other than Gehazi. So he uses his office, his spiritual role, and his association with Elisha to get what he wants. It's all greed. Next, he accepts these gifts that don't belong to him in the first place. Any gift that would have been given would have been given to Elisha. That's who it was offered to in the first place. Furthermore, After the lie, Naaman thinks he's given these to some needy prophet's sons. So they would have belonged to to some needy prophet's sons, if not Elisha. No one ever gave anything to Gehazi or offered anything to him. Yet he keeps the money for himself. It'd be like somebody telling you that they needed money to help some starving children in orphanages in another country and then keeping that money for themselves. That's basically what he does here. In addition, Gehazi hides everything. He covers up his sins. And this shows that he knew, he knew, it doesn't matter how much he rationalized, he knew that what he was doing was wrong. He knew his actions were wrong. But he did did it anyway. He deliberately hid his sins 
from Elisha. And then after all this, he lies again. Your servant didn't go anywhere, he tells Elisha, which was just a lie. He was caught. And if greed or any sin, any sin is left unchecked, it can get out of control in a hurry. It's amazing how quickly you can find yourself in a mess, a serious mess with pain caused to yourself and the people you care about just by leaving sin unchecked, by thinking you've got it under control. But before you know it, it's way out of control. And you're off track, headed for who knows what. But it's not going to be a smooth landing, I can tell you that. The only thing left, once this happens, and the only thing left for, for Gehazi here now is the consequences. Now I learned a little something about consequences this week. Gracie took this picture. You can sort of see me inside there. It looks like a slinky. It does not move like a slinky. It is metal bars shaped like a slinky. And I decided that I was going to follow my kids and climb through that. And what I learned when you get in there is that you cannot turn around. You got to keep going. And it's, it's a pretty good climb. That's just part of it. That's near the top. So I'd finally made it to the top. But that was just as difficult as, you, as it looks. <laughs> this was at the City Museum in St. Louis. We spent Monday there. And Gracie begged me to use this picture. But it fits because I realized about a quarter of the way through there that I should not have done that. We had a good time, and it, it, I'm, uh, you know, I'm glad I did it, I guess. But, but there, the consequences of that was I, didn't, I almost didn't make it out, and every part of my body was sore the next day. All right? They, they offer, they sell knee pads to adults in this place, and I found out pretty quickly that it's probably worth whatever you would pay for the knee pads. Consequences. Every action has a consequence, right? Some are good. Some are not. It's... it's but sin always brings negative consequences. Some consequences are worse than others, depending on what you do. All sin is the same in the eyes of God. Sin is sin. It's corruption. It is wrong. There is really no greater sin than others in terms of the way God views sin. Consequences, though, are different depending on the sins we commit. Now, I don't really think it was a sin for me to climb through a slinky, but there were consequences to that decision. I have made some bad decisions in my life that have brought some pretty tough consequences. We, I'm sure we all have experienced that. And what we see here as this story continues is that Gehazi, he rationalized. He, he made it okay in his own mind. He came up with a pre, pretty creative way to excuse what he had done. Made it sound good. He wrapped it in holy language even. But at the end of the day, what he, he knew what he had done was wrong. And he lied about it. He tried to cover it up. And now the only thing left for him is the consequences that he's going to experience for his actions. And this is where we learn that every sin has consequences. And they're pretty bad. Let's look at verses 26 and 27 here. And my heart didn't go when the man got down from his chariot to meet you, Elisha said. Is this a time to accept silver and clothing, olive orchards and vineyards, flocks and herds, and male and female slaves? And here's the consequence. Therefore, Naaman's skin disease will cling to you and your descendants forever. 
So Gehazi went out from his presence, diseased, resembling snow. His, his skin turned completely white with leprosy. Now try to imagine how Gehazi feels at this point. He, he, he must have felt pretty foolish. I mean, his sin was out in the open. There was no covering it up, no hiding. He's fully exposed. I mean, and literally everybody can see the consequences. And this sin he had tried so hard to rationalize, so hard to cover up, is completely out in the open. But think about how Elisha felt. I mean, Gehazi was to Elisha what Elisha was to Elijah. I mean, this was someone he had poured into, someone that he had invested in, someone that he cared about. But in doing this, Gehazi forfeits all of his future ministry. I mean, Gehazi has to face the consequences now. Uh, Elisha must have been incredibly disappointed at what he had done and felt like he had let him down, felt like he had messed up somehow, that he had failed him. But the truth is, Gehazi made this decision on his own, and so he has to face the consequences. And the greedy servant had forgotten a very important truth. Ministry serves others, never self. That's just the, tr- the absolute truth. And we all get selfish from time to time, but ministry in its purest form is serving God and serving other people. It, it can never be about what's in it for me. Because if, if that's the case, a lesson I learned a long time ago, if I'm doing this for, for what's in it for me, I'm going to be left disappointed. That's not some kind of martyr mentality. Ministry is wonderful. has a lot of great rewards, but ministry is investment. Ministry is pouring into people. You don't always see the results of that. You have to leave the results in God's hands. Every Sunday I get up here, I preach a message, and I leave the results in God's hands. As long as I'm faithful to deliver the word of God, it is active, it is alive, it will not return void. I trust him for the results. And that is a lot of ministry. It is putting others above yourself and gaining satisfaction for that from pleasing God. It is serving God. It is, uh, it is serving others. And Gehazi lost sight of that. He wanted something for himself. And he paid a pretty, pretty difficult price, a pretty hefty price for it. We serve God and others. So how do we avoid falling into this same trap? We've talked about what led to this. We've talked about how it enveloped him. Greed did. How Gehazi lied. He rationalized. He covered it up. How do we avoid making the same mistake? With greed specifically, but not just with greed, with any sin. First, guard your imagination. We talked a couple of weeks ago. Imagination can be a wonderful thing as long as it agrees with God's plan. God wants us to use our imaginations as long as we are living in submission to his plan. He created us with the ability to create I mean, that's part of being in the image of God. We, human beings, have the ability to imagine, and that can be a wonderful thing. But if we're not careful, if we go crazy, if we don't keep it in check, in submission to the will of God, the imagination can also be a very dangerous thing and lead to consequences. Guard your imagination. I want to, uh, to point out Webster's di- dictionary of uh, his definition of imagination. There's two definitions. The first says it's the act or power of forming a mental image, 
of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. That's the first. But it's the second that really I believe is the most applicable for us. It's a creation of the mind, especially an idealized or poetic creation, fanciful or empty assumption. In and of itself can be okay, but it's that second definition that we use. That's how we use imagination to rationalize sin. We come up with this idealized or fanciful notion of something that fits what we want just enough to where we can feel good about doing something we know is wrong. Creative people have remarkable imaginations, some more than others, and normally that's good, but like with anything, there is a dark side to it, so we have to be careful. The same creativity that helps us dream wonderful dreams for the kingdom of God can also fantasize destructive fantasies that will allow us to feel good about doing things we know we shouldn't. And that's exactly what Gehazi did. He thought about the money. He conceived a way to get it. He rationalized it. And then he performed the act of sin. And then he covered it up. He lied and he covered it up. Also, rationalization makes all sin less objectionable. Rationalization is providing plausible, right-sounding motives for poor conduct which encourages us to act on those fantasies that we know we shouldn't participate in. And like most things, practice makes perfect. You will get better at rationalizing the more you do it. You'll get more creative. And then it's easier to satisfy the the conscience the more you drown it. We're all born with a conscience, but consciences can be quenched. They can be drowned. They can be suffocated. The more you rationalize, the more that happens. The remedy for this type of thinking, this damaging thinking, is accountability, which is a discipline. You know, our emotions are going to work against us. You can't go on feeling. Your conscience can fail you, especially if you've killed it, if you've damaged it. It takes mental toughness to do what is right, especially when it seems like the world is doing the opposite. It takes mental toughness, but none of us are able to do that on our own. We need accountability. Accountability is vital. And while rationalizing will blur the lines between right and wrong, accountability has a remarkable way of keeping them sharp, the lines between right and wrong. We have to develop the habit of running ideas past Christian brothers and sisters whom we know to be spiritually mature. Are there people in your life you can go to that will tell you the truth even if they know it's not what you want to hear? Are you willing to receive the truth even if it's something you don't want to hear? Accountability is really the only remedy for committing the same sin that Gehazi did when it comes to rationalizing. Third, if you're involved in business, anything you do but business Determined to keep all of your business deals out in the open. Transparency, any, anything like that that I'm doing, business or, or anything that, that involves working with others to where you're offering something for something in return, honesty, transparency will fight the temptation to rationalize and to allow greed to consume you. And then finally, examine your motives. Examine your motives. 
Call it sin when you see it and confess it. Greed or any other sin. But deal with it at the moment it enters your mind. If it just enters your mind, it's not a sin. It leads to temptation. And if you don't flee it, then it leads to sin. So deal with it at that moment. Confess it. Repent. Flee from it. Take the out that God gives you because he will give you an out. He promises to give us an escape from every temptation. He doesn't promise to spare us from temptation. He won't spare us, but he gives us a way out. We have to trust God and use that way of escape by his power and his strength. Deal with it at the moment it enters your mind. Confessionally usually brings sin to a necessary and abrupt halt. But confession is the only way. Name the sin, confess it. Find forgiveness based on the grace of Jesus Christ. If you're in the middle of that sin, confess it. Find grace and forgiveness. Claim God's power and use his power to choose a different path. You may still have consequences, but you can choose a different path and experience God's grace. Gehazi does repent, but he was never able to get rid of the consequences of those sins. And according to Hebrew law... The fact that his skin turns white means he cannot be Elisha's assistant anymore. He cannot serve in the way he had before. Leviticus 13. Now, interestingly enough, Gehazi experiences the grace of God. Because later on, we see him stand before King Jehoram as a servant of Elisha. So he is restored to ministry. But he lives with these consequences the rest of his life. He has this skin disease for the rest of his life. God shows grace, allows him to minister once again. There's restoration, but there's still consequences that he would have to experience for the rest of his life. And it's all because he gave in to greed. All because he didn't keep it in check. His remorse... His guilt, when he was caught, the consequences, Elisha's disappointment. But ultimately, it was a sin against God. You know, I have scars all over my hands. I will never be a hand model. I'll have to come to terms with that. But each one of these scars, I've got scars here where I caught my hand between um, the tongue of a utility trailer and the tailgate of my truck. Broke a finger, cut them, had to have my ring cut off, basically. Well, they tried to, and eventually they just had to jerk it off. But um, So I had stitches here. I had to have surgery on my hands at one point. I've got a bad scar here from where I was at the lake. I think I was in the eighth grade. I was being an idiot, I'm sure. And I swung on a pole and got my thumb caught inside a U-shaped pole and ripped I almost ripped my thumb off, but it, it, it cut me. I, I don't remember, tons of stitches inside, tore up the ligaments, everything. I've got another two other scars here where I cut my fingers on a saw while I was working in the meat department in college. I'm a little clumsy. <laughs> and I've got scars all over, but I'm able to sit here and name each one of these and what happened. Why do you think that is? I will never forget those things. It was painful. Have you ever cut your hands? It hurts. All those nerve endings? Oh, it's awful. And of course, I remember these were somewhat traumatic. I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I mean, you cut your finger on a saw, and there's a moment where you don't know if there's still a finger there, right? 
I mean, all of these were painful. And now I've got the scars that I'm guessing will be there the rest of my life. I mean, this has been there since I was 13 years old, so I don't think it's going anywhere. They will always be reminders of mistakes that I made. And I'm, you know, okay, my hands work just fine. But still, always reminders, right? You've got scars, I'm sure, like that. You know, I'm sure my mom will always remember these too, especially the ones I did when I was younger because she had to take me to the emergency room. But that's, that's what scars, they serve as a reminder. You'll never forget what caused that scar. Consequences are the same way. Even if they're temporary, even if they're not lifelong like Gehazi's, those consequences will always be there in your mind, and they should be. You better believe the next time I went to cut meat at that saw, I was more careful. You better believe I didn't swing on that pole again after that happened. Reminders. I'm much more careful when I'm hitching up a trailer to my truck now because of that. And when it gets real cold, it, my hand stiffens up. I, it's, a, it's a physical reminder. Don't forget those reminders. Don't forget those consequences. Let those be reminders and motivations not to repeat that sin again. Let those be motivations to not repeat, not commit other sins. Remember, sin always brings consequences. But there is the grace of God. By God's grace, I still have all my fingers. <laughs> By God's grace, Gehazi still got to serve. He didn't deserve it, but God let him. And by God's grace, whatever you're in, whatever sin you are wrapped up in, whatever sin you are tempted by, he will provide a way of escape. And if you are in the throes of it, he will provide forgiveness and restoration. There will still be consequences, but God can restore you. He can make you whole. If you're not, he can give you new life. If you don't know him, if you're not saved, He can give you salvation. He can get you out of whatever you're in. You'll never fix yourself up before you come to him, but he can get you out of whatever you're in, and he can clean you up. He can restore you and use you for his glory. That's the grace of God. And no, we cannot buy it or it wouldn't be grace. We cannot earn it. It is out of the mercy and love of our Heavenly Father. Wherever you are, God can restore you if you will turn to him in repentance seeking forgiveness, you will receive that grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gracious gift of your son, Jesus. None of us deserve that. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve forgiveness. None of us deserve to be used by you in ministry. Yet you save us, you set us apart, and you gift us with gifts to be used especially for service in your kingdom. And Father, I pray that each of us right now in this time of commitment would allow you, Holy Spirit, to search our hearts. Is there anything that we're trying to keep under control that we know is dangerous, a temptation, a sin that we think is just minor, that's not affecting anyone else? Is there anything that fits that category because as we've seen today, it can quickly grow out of control. Help us bring that to our hearts and minds. Help us to confess and repent and turn, flee from that. Maybe someone here today is already in deep with whatever sin they are struggling with. They may even think there's no way out, that they've gone too far. This certainly 
Surely there's no forgiveness for them, but Lord, just Holy Spirit, speak to their hearts. Bring them under conviction and, and show them you want them to experience your grace. Show them that there is forgiveness. There is grace. If they would just cry out to you and be willing to turn from that sin and turn to you, giving their lives to you, submitting to you, asking for your forgiveness. They can experience that and they can experience restoration and be used by you in ways they could never imagine for your glory and your kingdom. But Lord, they can have a relationship with you, a personal, intimate relationship with you, their creator. Father, whatever you lead us to do in this moment, let us just listen to your voice and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?